Hello, my name is Carrie, and welcome to season two of the Yukon Entrepreneur podcast series. I'm recording today on the traditional territory of Champagne and Ajac First Nations in beautiful Dakwakarahenge Junction. And I'm joined today with Madhya Alatini, who's joining us today from Kwanlin Whitehorse on the traditional territory of Ta'an Kuchin Council and Kwanlin Dun First Nation. Welcome, Madhya. Thank you, Dunje. I'm I am zooming in or joining you from Kwanlin U, Kwanlin Whitehorse. And yeah, I'm a Kwanlin First Nation citizen. Very pleased to be part of your podcast, Carrie. Oh, thank you, Mithia. And it's exciting to have you as our first guest in season two as we transition this podcast series to a COVID-19 research recovery project and, you know, take all of the insights that we're learning from Yukon entrepreneurs and um, learn, grow and, and sort of capture that data and, and share it back out with the territory. So, Madhya, you've been kind of frontline on COVID-19 with your business since, uh, well, since the beginning. So could you tell us a little bit about what you do for work and, and sort of how that relates to COVID-19? Yes, uh, my, I have a consulting company, uh, GSD Strategies, and I'm a bridge builder. So work between First Nation governments, federal government, territorial government, uh, between industry and First Nations, between industry and community. Uh, and that's really my my cup of tea, my forte. And so the chiefs had asked that I be involved early in March of 2020, or towards the end of the month anyways. And it, it was just to help coordinate the First Nation side of the COVID response because we were already in a state of emergency and we were seeing cases come in. So I thought, okay, we'll just do this maybe short term. <laughs> and now we're a year and a half later, a little bit more. And the end is not in sight at the moment with the Omicron virus. <laughs> Yeah, and for those who are watching the podcast, people might notice that Malia and I are wearing matching earrings because, you know, full disclosure, early on uh, in, in the pandemic response, Mathia and I started chatting and uh, looked at, you know, how we could work together uh, as entrepreneurs as well to help support the territory. And so I've started working with, with you under GSD strategies to support that pandemic response. Yes, it's been a uh, very exciting and um innovative partnership, I think. Yeah, I think we work well together. So it's been good. And uh, for everybody else who's living in Zoom world, you got to have Zoom earrings. So thanks to Trina and to Chilla uh, for creating these beautiful COVID earrings for us. <laughs> yep, it's our, it's our bling for all of these Zoom meetings that we go into. Mathia, I'm just wondering, like, what's your, what was your first sort of memory of the pandemic? What was your, like, you know, we, we think about that with, with, you know, we, where were you the day JFK got shot or the, the day the towers fell? So where were you when you kind of realized, oh, we're in a pandemic? Yeah, I was working with Yukon government on the, as an independent panel with Doug Eaton and, um, oh gosh, Better clip that because I can't remember my other partner's name. Angus, God, oh, Angus Robertson. And um, we were doing the Yukon Mineral Development Strategy and we had 
attended Roundup in Vancouver. And there was, uh, so that was uh, January, February, and towards the end of January. And there was awareness that this virus was going around internationally, globally, and it hadn't yet really hit Canada. And then we went to PDAC, so Prospector Developers Association of Canada's conference in March and Toronto. And normally it's a really well attended, normally about 40 to 48,000 people attend that conference. And I think it was something like 27,000 went that year. And it was, so the attendance was really down. When we were coming down the escalators, all you could smell was hand sanitizer. There was hand sanitizer at every single a desk table. Um, there was somebody wiping the railings of the escalators because you go down quite quite a few escalators to get into the conference. And there was someone wiping down the elevators at every single point. And as we left PDAC, there was, because it's usually, it's a week long or four or five day event. Um, there was a couple of cases at PDAC. So we came back and um, they had given the exposure notices of where that was going to be or where the, the cases had been, um, what events the person had been at. And Ranch had to go get tested. And we, so our uh, mineral development strategy crew, were hosting face-to-face -face meetings right after, like the week after. And that was our last face-to-face -face meetings that I attended for like over a year. So that was March 15th, that following week. And it was, um, it there was heightened anxiety. Like people didn't want me to come around them for six weeks after I came back from Toronto. My family was like, like I had the plague or something. No, you came back from Toronto. There was COVID there. And I was like, I, I was safe. Like I hand sanitized everywhere I went. And I don't think we were fully masking at that. And then we were not masking at all. So people were still walking around without face coverings, but definitely sanitizing everything. So crazy. Yeah. And then it hit and it shut down. We had to adapt our entire consultation process for the mineral development strategy. <clears throat> yeah, you, I mean, you just you described yourself as a bridge builder, right? Which requires like that networking and that getting out and meeting people and kind of bringing people together. So, you know, what is what is it that meant for your business? Like, how have you had to adapt? What, are you using different tools, or you know, what, what does that look like for you now? Uh, for an extrovert. COVID is really hard. <laughs> um, uh, that has been a tough adaptation, I must say. The it, Zoom, I'd already been teaching on Zoom through Yukon University. So shifting quickly to Zoom was not a, an issue. And because we were doing the mineral development strategy at the same time as I was ramping up the COVID response or trying to bring First Nation governments together on that. It was a kind of a seamless integration just to move all meetings, consultations, uh, group discussions to a, a electronic platform. 
so for me, it wasn't such a, a radical shift. Um, it does make like that consultation piece with communities around um, the complex issues of mineral development in your backyard. Just having a Zoom conversation, if people aren't technically savvy, like there was a lot of initial meetings where the camera was up people's noses or you just saw their chin um, or they forget to unmute and then they get upset. <laughs> but uh, that learning, that initial learning period, once that was, we went over that, um, we got some meaningful engagement, but I think it was still, you miss a lot of the side conversations that happen when you do face-to-face, -face. when you're just up having a coffee and somebody just wants to have a one-on-one -on -one with you about whatever the issue was that we just talked about. I, so in that sense, you do miss a lot of that. Once people got the idea or the um, use of chats on the side, that was really helpful. Um, I did find it difficult to chair a meeting, respond to the chats and the cell phone inquiries because people were still, they weren't sending things on the chat. They were sending text messages and wanting a response right, right away. So that multitasking bit was a little, um, a little crazy, but really that platform shift to online virtual has been, um, not too difficult. And the other side of it though, is finding out how to brief people on really complex issues outside of just a briefing note. So trying different methods of sending little video updates or uh, text messages or um, yeah, just email newsletters, newsletters <laughs> email newsletters, which I'm like, they're not getting as much views as I'd like when I look back at the statistics. Um, so I don't think the, the golden bullet, silver bullet has been found yet on how to get that meaningful engagement from, from First Nations when there's these complex issues. That, that we can send a briefing note on, but we really need to have some dialogue short of having one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, that, that's been a challenge. Mm -hmm. in, in terms of your business model, like pre-pandemic and, and looking at it now, like is your client base Yukon, Canada as an international, like what, what is, what is GSD strategies look like in terms of your client base? Uh, majority is Yukon. Um, I did have uh, quite a few clients in British Columbia and did work in NWT as well. So the, the borders closing and um, that can't do face-to-face -face makes it really challenging. Um, yeah, so it's definitely narrowed my, my clientele to Yukon, which I'm that's my expertise is my home, like Yukon, Yukon First Nations is um, my knowledge structure, knowledge <laughs> foundation. Um, so it's not such a big shift, but I do miss the, uh, the excitement of meeting new people, learning from uh, 
international business forums or just speaking at conferences and doing innovative discussions or facilitating innovative discussions on self-government and um, energy production or just, yeah, how to move nations forward. So that's that's been the biggest piece that I'm missing out of my pre-COVID business is all of the travel, conferences, innovative discussions. It, I think it just, you can be part of all these innovative forums and um, networking opportunities virtually, but it's not the same. I think when you're listening to uh, podcasts or you're listening to conferences and they could be Zoom conferences, I find myself uh, multitasking. Like I'll be listening to the conversation, not really engaging in it, as, which you can't really do that if you're at a conference in person, you're there. <laughs> yeah, it kind of feels like having the news on in the background, you know, when it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of there and you're like listening in, but it's not the same level of, of engagement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did find um, Clubhouse, which is that new platform where you have live conversations with individuals globally. And uh, that's been really interesting. So just just the breadth of people that you can talk to and uh, like the expertise. So I jump into a couple of discussions on uh, with doctors throughout the US who are responding to COVID. And I get to listen to what they're doing on a, on a cutting edge daily basis and how they're responding and can adapt what their learnings are in a larger urban structure to like pull any lessons learned and apply that here. So that's been, that's been a neat outcome of COVID, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah, these different places, we're constantly sending each other like podcast recommendations or things to kind of just get these, uh, those like that sort of network effect of information, because otherwise, mm-hmm. like, where else are we getting it from these days? Yeah, um, we can't just rely on um, regular media to get canned information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like those sidebar conversations that we're kind of missing of like, oh, the, this new idea. What, what are you learning about your customer over the last couple of years, like in terms of delivering the product for them, what they're asking for? What like, are, are there any observations about, you know, how to meet client expectations now? Um, so my main customer is obviously Yukon First Nation governments and, and Yukon First Nation citizens. So And this is not just not a new concept, but maybe it's a concept that uh, your listeners may not be aware of. The the level of service that First Nations provide across the Yukon is unprecedented in First Nations throughout Canada. So because there are 11 of the 14 Yukon First Nations with self-government agreements, they have jurisdiction for healthcare delivery, um, land management, uh, all of the infrastructure management that a municipality looks after, a First Nation does the exact same thing. Um, So what I'm really 
what has become very apparent is the need to continuously teach and inform new territorial or federal government employees that are coming to work here about the the jurisdiction of First Nations, the responsibility of First Nations, and the expectation to work in a collaborative framework. And, And what that means, like what does actual collaborative work mean? Because I don't think that um, the understanding is there. I, we have all these innovative uh, Yukon First Nation 101 that senior level uh, bureaucrats from Yukon government or federal government are required to go through. But that's just the starting point. That's just to give the initial understanding of what uh, working here in the Yukon entails. And I think the next level is really about how do we build the understanding or build the expectation for uh, bureaucrats or government leaders to be um, respectfully approaching First Nations and really looking at how do we build up Yukon together? So for me, that, that has really bubbled up as the biggest gap and um, and then the resistance, everybody holding on to their own silos or their own kingdoms versus how do we do this better together? So always pushing that agenda, like from a First Nation perspective, Yukon's very small and how do we work together for the benefit of all? And that's really what the 1972 Together Today for Our Children Tomorrow manifesto was all about. Like, how do we bring Yukon First Nations to an equity position and fully participate in what it means to manage this jurisdiction? Yeah. You know, I just had a a memory uh, come back to me just listening to you say that because I think it was like in May uh, when Yukon was sort of first reopening. And I remember feeling like a little bit lost in some of our, like not lost, but just like, oh, okay, like, where are we? Like, this is so destabilizing and picking up together today for our children tomorrow to think about the calm strategy. Like what was in this manifesto? How do we need to think about this to keep communities safe and figure out like our strategy for this next little while? So it, it's interesting mm-hmm. to see how that still roots so much in, in what we do. So speaking of incredible leadership, um, you know, that document is, but, you know, as a business owner, leadership is a really important part of of what you do. What are your observations about your own leadership or leadership in the territory um, that that has really come, shone through in good ways and bad ways because of the pandemic? Um, the, The good is the, the desire to really protect everybody. Um, and to put measures in place to to protect all Yukoners. Um, the challenges or the bad that I've seen is uh, the the communities that have more complex challenges um, get left behind, and that that's not good for our community of Yukon and it is a an absolute challenge in terms of 
program and service delivery. So pushing people to leadership, I find that I'm a, mm, I did uh, Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies and I thought I was an obliger, but turns out I'm a rebel. Um, <laughs> so I, I find that I'm pushing or instigating a lot of discussions around how to do things better. How do we, uh, hey, these guys over here need a little bit more help. The your programs, the way they're designed are not delivering what is needed. Here's what's needed. How do we get there? So um, yeah, just pushing the boundaries a little bit more and instigating a lot of other discussions to, to fill those gaps. Um, I think the other piece about leadership during this pandemic has been a, um, if we don't have an opportunity to gather safely and really have meaningful discussions, um, we have this tendency to go back into our own, our own silos, our own communities. And it's just, these are the issues that we're dealing with in our own community and over here in this community, these are our own issues. Instead of bringing that kind of leadership together to really look at um, how do we solve these problems together? Because the underlying root causes are very similar. Um, so this, this piece about how do we gather safely and really um, create a forum for leaders to, to support each other and to uh, creatively come up with solutions together. As business owners, adaptation is critical, like that constant iterating, innovation, pushing. What are you learning about adaptation? What's been your biggest sort of win when it comes to, to that adaptation for your business? Is there an example? Mm, the fact that I'm still standing and I'm an extrovert that needs to be in front of people. <laughs> <laughs> What's the biggest adaptation? Uh, just, just that willingness to, okay, this is the situation that we're in. How do we make it better? Just embracing change, I think. Um, I'm, I'm normally a very resilient person and um, I like to think I have a growth mindset. So for me, it's always about, okay, we're in this. How do we get it? How do we make it better? How do we fix it? How do we uh, just move forward? Because we can't wallow in the fact that we're in a pandemic and it is killing our communities, killing community members. Um, it is, what do we need to do to move through this? And just that kind of light at the end of the tunnel that there is an, there is a way through this. Like we will get through this. There will be something, whether it's 2023 or 2024, uh, there's going to be an end to this. So holding out hope that <laughs> there's going to be an end. Um, that, that's probably a big adaptation. The, the fact that I've switched to just a online or working from home, Zoom, 
is a big adaptation for me because I'm, I like to travel. I'm missing travel a lot. Uh, and then societal adaptation. I think it's really that my aha last Christmas was this, um, this importance of family and connections or really cultivating meaningful connections, cultivating friendships and knowing that, cause I have a lot of associates, I've, but I've got a, like, and I got a big family, but I've got a close family as well. And really finding that importance of these are the important people in my life. It kind of distills, a pandemic kind of distills you down to where, what is important? What do I need to be, to survive? What do I, what do I need to uh, feel fulfilled? And yeah, keeping community safe and bringing people together to have really hard conversations is meaningful and that's meaningful work for me, but being able to ensure that my family is happy, healthy, and we still get to be together is huge, huge. And I, I saw that coming out across, not just Yukon, but across Canada, people really trying to reconnect to, to meaningful relationships. One, you know, part of that connection is figuring out how to do that safely. And as you were talking to, I was also kind of thinking about like, who would have thought you would have been the the model demonstrator for how to stick a swab up your nose and nose and do a COVID nineteen test? And you know, I can see the box of rapid antigen tests behind you. So it's like, you know, figuring out some of those things. You 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 know, that that's been part of that adaptation for your business. Uh, yes, being a model for sticking a swab up my nose. Never thought I would. Be. <laughs> be recorded doing that that was never in the books <laughs> but but it is what's required people want to see that it is something that's easy to do and it's that one tool in our toolbox that can help us gather and as we're moving into the christmas holidays it's even more important to use every tool that we have to ensure that we're keeping our families, our close circles safe, and especially our elders, our knowledge keepers in our community. We want to make sure that we're not losing any more elders to this disease, this virus. So, I mean, we're all becoming very intimately familiar with public health measures, you know, masking, <laughs> hand sanitizing, you know, all these sorts of things. What has been the most challenging for you to, to navigate in your work? Was it, you know, these closures, the mandates, like, vaccines what like you've been you've been frontline for a lot of them uh travel restriction <laughs> <laughs> i am all for i honestly i think masking i don't think we should be taking any masking provisions off the table i think mandatory masking in public places needs to be with us for the long haul that, that just needs to stay we we know this is an airborne virus and we know that it is transmitted through droplets from people speaking, sneezing, coughing, whatever it is. And the use of masks, and you can have bougie masks. Uh, I've got bougie masks. 
I love it. Um, oh, one of the best ones I got was you gave to me was the Wonder Woman mask. I love it. Such an awesome mask. And um, I, I, so that's, I think that's just, please give me more masks. Uh, always provide masks. That is absolutely necessary. The, um, the most challenging is gathering sizes because for Christmas last year, we had to have Christmas dinner. We had to break up our immediate family into two households and we had to Zoom between our households. So elders and little kids were in one and I had most of the adults in one and we had to Zoom and, and have Christmas dinner separately, which was really challenging. Um, and not being able to go into my grandma's house and have to see her through the window, that was hard. Um, but the one that I missed the most and continue to miss the most is the travel restrictions. Not being able to travel is killing me. Um, yes, I've got, <laughs> I've got uh, my husband's family's from New Zealand. New Zealand's been in lockdown and not receiving visitors. So they got, my husband and daughter got to go to New Zealand, Australia, and Tonga in December of 2019. I was working and did not go. So I have not been on a big OE trip for a while <laughs> and I'm missing it. But um, yeah, I think that one's the, the biggest challenge that I'm, that's the hardest for me personally. Have you, as a business owner, accessed any of the pandemic-related supports? Like, have you found any of those to be a benefit for, for your company? Um, I didn't access any of the supports because I honestly did not have, we haven't stopped working. Um, it's been, and I'm appreciative of that, like grateful for it it's been a lot, like a lot of stress and, um, intense work and your, your testament to it as well. Um, it does put a strain physically. I'm a stress eater. So you can see my COVID, my COVID gins. But, <laughs> um, I know did not have to, I did not feel the need to, and did not require any of the supports did push a lot of individuals who had um, needed those supports and I think of uh, friends and family in the tourism industry who have been extremely hard hit on on all of it so as much as I could I supported uh, parameters around the pivot programs or any of the programs that were being developed and just ensured that they included parameters that allowed uh, First Nations businesses in community or any of the businesses that I knew of that were impacted, if the parameters were not expansive enough, was able to ensure that uh, they were expanded to include those individuals who, who really need it. Um, which of those programs I think that are most helpful? Uh, I did see a lot of um, entrepreneurs take advantage of the pivot program. And that was really led through Yukon U Innovation and Entrepreneurship 
and the um, that hub there. I I thought that was a very useful tool for the the individuals who are self-employed or um, were kind of in that year one to year five of operations and still needed that support and shifting what their product or what their business could be. Um, the, obviously the most successful one of that is uh, Jesse and Blair with Gunta Business. Um, and them shifting from event kind of event coordination to online uh, collaborative event coordination. Uh, I still think there are just Food's being cooked. <laughs> um, the were there any gaps? I think the there's probably gaps. There was a lot of support for tourism industry for. Um, cultural industries. I think the ones that I've seen fall through the cracks are the, the catering businesses. So think of Shadella Foods. Um, they were making, like they catered every large gathering. The, all those services that were catering large gatherings um, definitely were impacted and the CERB does not make up for the loss of that amount of revenue. When you think of the, um, the amount of business that was lost, it was so incredible. And, and still, even with this restart, as we went through a bit of a restart and we were starting to gather and do events again, and then now we're back into a state of emergency and our gathering limits are, um, are restricted. The, businesses that are supporting those peripheral businesses, the food services, the AV services, the like Marshall Lake tents and events, all of those things are, they're so hard hit. Um, I don't think there's any kind of supports that could really close the gap between the revenue lost and and just keeping your doors open like that, that's a huge gap to maintain. So um, yeah, I, I know that there's all these supports for keeping your lights on and keeping your facilities going, but Marshall Lake Tents and Events has tents that are not getting rented, right? Um, yeah, there's, there's always gonna be individuals falling through the cracks and I, I heard recently that there's some um, medium-sized businesses. So think of um, one or two employees and still service and they're getting, the programs don't yet meet their needs or they get excluded from the programs because they, they're still able to operate and just at the threshold. So I, yeah, anecdotally, there are definitely businesses that are falling through the cracks. Yeah, this constant changing of gathering sizes, you know, I just think leading into this last state of emergency and how excited we were to safely gather and, you know, move 
important initiatives forward, right? And and just to see all of like the the bead hide and fur symposium and just the excitement for people to come together and to do that and have safe models for it and and just to see it all, you know, really feel like it's getting taken away again. And it was it, it's tough. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah, we gather. That's what we do here in the Yukon. Oh yes, we're good at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so moving for, like looking forward, how are you thinking about your business differently? Knowing we're in this for a while, but like, how are you thinking about your business differently? What are your opportunities? Um, uh, there is definitely, or where I see my skill set being of most use is that liaise or that um, that bridge really between Yukon First Nation governments and the initiatives of the territorial government. And how do we think of um, health initiatives that are coming out? Think of all of the, uh, I don't know, there's so many initiatives that are being pushed forward, research initiatives, education initiatives, um, that are coming forward that need the, the middle piece. How do we get from YG in their silo, First Nation governments in their jurisdictions, how do we get to building these pieces together? And I really feel like that's where my zone of genius is or my creative brain really thrives is um, seeing the potential for, for working together or creating structures, systems that pull together all of all of the resources, people, money, infrastructure, and use that in a more efficient and effective way. Getting getting serving Yukoners needs. Because it, it doesn't have to be done separately. I think we can do it better together. You know, the pandemic's created a lot of you know, instability. And, and in a time of instability, you know, things reconfigure and there's opportunity for growth and change. So, you know, as UConn is emerging from this period of instability, like what are your, what are you thinking about in that rebuild of the UConn or, and build out of the UConn economy? Um, I'm hopeful that we will really leverage our knowledge economy here. Um, and the fact that we do have a different story to tell. So we see over the past two, three years, so at, since the TRC recommendations came forward, um, we've seen reconciliation be kind of a buzzword. And really in Yukon, we have the ingredients for the recipe, right? We've got the agreements in place. We've got the the fact that our, our self-governing self-governing nations have really been at the forefront of building their own nations and know what it is that um, self-government looks like and, and the expectations of the relationship of a, a territorial government. And how do, we, how do we build that together and demonstrate that potential to the rest of Canada? And I really think that's where we will lead the way. So whether it's on the Institute for Indigenous Self-Determination or creating a, a health authority that maybe it's not a standalone health authority, maybe it's a joint health authority that looks at integrating the um, indigenous pedagogy, uh, indigenous ways of knowing and doing and being into a health system that's more holistic, that looks at 
uh, preventative care and and the entire life cycle of building healthy youth to build healthy adults to build healthy caregivers um, and then healthy elders. So how do we look at that whole perspective and look at it in an indigenous way of being and present that as this is what reconciliation looks like to the rest of Canada and globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Those are all pretty exciting things. <laughs> They're pretty exciting. And I have to say, so the knowledge economy, I think that whole piece about sharing our, our ways of doing is a knowledge economy. And the fact that we, I hope we'll have redundant um, fiber optic and maybe ISPs in uh, each community that we'll be able to leverage that kind of technological foundation um, to the best ability of each community that each community can really thrive in, in highlighting or showcasing their, their talent without creating a brain drain on those communities. So being able to have people, it's proven, we can work from home, we can work in remote communities and the internet connectivity is gonna be key to building that out and building it up. Absolutely. Any advice for emerging entrepreneurs? You're a seasoned entrepreneur in the Yukon environment. (laughs) Um, Advice. network always um look to building relationships i think that is absolutely key in the yukon um as new entrepreneur one thing that's helped is indian country is very small be careful about burning bridges (laughs) so being uh, aware of your relationships and how you're working together is incredibly important um, and always looking for opportunities. There's there's not another you out there. So being aware of your special gifts and what you have to offer the world and know that you have unique gifts, you have something unique to offer and don't be afraid to share that. And that's really, don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to do uh, what you see on TikTok or <laughs> Instagram, um, because that's not your, that's not you authentically. So just being true to who you are and um, sharing, not being afraid to share your voice. Mm-hmm. Any aha moments for you, shifts in your worldview that have you know become apparent over this last little while? Uh-huh. Mm. Extroverts can thrive on Zoom. <laughs> With the right earrings. <laughs> With the right earrings. Um, <laughs> what any aha? Uh-huh. I I think um I I don't think I had too many aha uh-huh moments. I it's probably just a I'm like, oh, that happened. Accept it move on. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know if it's been a aha moment. Uh, shifts in worldview. I'm 
optimism and we need optimism to keep us going forward. I, I'm seeing a, a lag in hope because of the constant shifting requirements, the like just globally, the World Health Organization says masking and then no masking and masking. And uh, so it's con that constant shift. Um, people are really resilient, but the rate of change has to be a little bit slower for people to adapt in a, in a way that creates um, mental, mental stability um, or, or just not the exhaustion that I think a lot of us are feeling now. Well, speaking of exhaustion, how, like, how are you <laughs> staying grounded? Like what's keeping you well? What are like, do you have some anchors or things that have been keeping you sane? Mm, what has been keeping me sane? Uh, <laughs> I've, I've been trying to, and uh, to just meditate to calm my mind because I find like my work is really head focused, um, very cognizant of the lack of activity, I think like physical activity and trying to integrate a little bit more of that, whether it's just walking the dogs or I bought a pair of skis last spring. Have I used them this winter yet? No, but they're there and I can go out. <laughs> um, and I think just cultivating a, a strong circle of friends, um, uh, close like girlfriends. We have book club and I have just, I have close friends that we get, we all are in high stress positions. So it is good to have people who are aware of you know, the, the stresses that we're all under and that are experiencing the same things. Um, and wine, wine's been a good, <laughs> a good, maybe not a wellness practice, but it's definitely being part of my, uh, my, my practice. <laughs> a good, oh, a good Malbec. <laughs> yes, yeah, that, we, that, that opportunity to decompress at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, Mithya, I just want to thank you a lot for your time today. Do you have any sort of final thoughts before we close out today and head into our next meeting? <laughs> uh, I, I just really appreciate you and uh, your innovative thinking. And uh, you definitely set an example for other entrepreneurs about the, the various activities that entrepreneurs can take on. You don't have to just do one thing. You can be good at a lot of things. And when you show up as your whole self, uh, it just makes your, your light shine. So I appreciate you and, and you are an example for our other entrepreneurs in this, in this economy. Well, thank you, Mithya. I, I mean, right back at you, babe, because that, <laughs> You know, it's been, I think that's, I think for me, that's been a big takeaway is like the opportunity for collaboration and that knowledge sharing here in the territory and holding each other up. And um, like, th that's, that's a, really the gift that we have for, for a lot of the world. Um, mm -hmm. Because uh, that's what the Yukon does.
Yes, we get to be the trailblazers. Manuchi Shi, Mazia, we'll see you later. Manuchi Shi, bye.